Welcome to the Slam Radio Podcast, featuring Front Page 305. All right, welcome to Front Page 305. <laughs> I was just running out of the room, I got to be honest, and I ran back at just in time and I heard Hollow Notes, and I go, well, that's my cue right there. So this is Walter V. I'm the host, and I'm joined today. My first guest will be the great Aaron Fitt and the equally great Kendall Rogers of D1Baseball.com. Gentlemen, are you there? Well, that was that was that was interesting. I have company here today, and I was talking to my uh, my cousin Danny Villa, who's here, and so I ran right into the room right in time. So that was uh, fortunate. Uh, well, thanks for joining me, you guys. Kendall, I haven't I haven't heard from you. You didn't on my text message. I thought you were a reluctant guest. No, man. I just uh, I, I got to keep this uh, this chiseled frame and all. So I was uh, working out. I love it. I love it. Well, my first thing I want to know, like a little bit about how you guys, obviously I write for D1 Baseball. I'm fortunate enough. I think it's an amazing um, website that you guys started, and I, but I never really got to how I got to know Aaron Fitt. Um, I started writing for Baseball America. I think I just reached out to them and maybe sent them some clips and I, they gave me some stuff to do. And, um, and Aaron baseball guy so him and I got to know each other and then when he left to start d1 baseball.com uh, I said hey if you ever need anything let me know and I don't know about two or three late years later that you called me yeah I think so I mean you've been with us for a while now I mean I feel like we started this thing in 2014 uh, kind of that fall and I don't know exactly when you joined the team Walt but it's been it, it, you know, for, for anyone out there who's, who loves college baseball, I mean, you're, you're our go-to storyteller. Whenever we, we got, uh, you know, some really neat um, feature that needs to be told, I mean, you're our man. You're just, uh, you, you crush it. So we're fortunate to have Walt on the team. But, yeah, I mean, for, for Kendall and I, I mean, you know, the, the site, of course, D1 Baseball has been, been around as just a scoreboard site uh, since, I think, 2001. That was when Jeremy Mills founded it. And, uh, you know, it was kind of a essential resource for the college baseball fan for a long time um, because there was really no other place where you could find all the scores and the schedule in one place. Um, and, you know, Kendall and Kyle um, got to talking and, 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 you know, we all kind of got together and figured out this would be a, a great opportunity to build kind of a one-stop shop for the college baseball fan. Um, you know, Kyle Peterson, that is, he's our, our, our president of our company. And, uh, you know, we, we figured this site already has all the eyeballs. Everyone already uses the site. Uh, let's all kind of add content and podcasts and analysis and, and try to, you know, give the college baseball fan everything they need in one spot. And uh, we just, you know, hit the ground running. It's been a, it's been a blast. Yeah. And, and it's, it's probably Aaron, uh, fair to say it's grown even more than what you could have imagined in the, those, uh, when you first started talking about it. Yeah. I mean, we had, you know, high hopes, but, but, you know, anytime you start something, um, almost from scratch. I mean, it wasn't quite scratch because, again, it had some traffic, but, I mean, uh, you're nervous. I mean, it, for, for me, Kendall had more experience with, with a subscription-based website than I did. I mean, Baseball America has subscriptions, but it's kind of a different business model. Um, and so I, I didn't really know. I mean, we're kind of getting into a, a whole different um, animal. And, and uh, I, I've just been blown away by the way the college baseball community has responded to it. And, you know, they, the way they supported us during the pandemic last year when the season was canceled, uh, it just kind of knocked my socks off, to be honest with you. And where are you guys from, Aaron? Are you from North Carolina originally? No, I, I grew up in New England, um, central Massachusetts, going to Cape Cod League games when I was a kid. And uh, went, I went to University of North Carolina following the, the Peter Gammons model and 
Uh, and I started at Baseball America right out of school. And so that was kind of my path. And, and where are you from, Kendall? I'm actually from a town in East Texas, uh, Lufkin, Texas. It's actually like a like a high school football national power. And uh, I grew up in a town of about uh, probably about 45,000. And I kind of started loving college baseball. Uh, my parents, when I was a kid, uh, when I was like a young teenager, we would always go to games over at Texas A&M. And, you know, going to the, I think it's the 93 regional I think it was like it was back in the old days, guys. Walter, you remember this back when you had like, you know, you had games being played at midnight because you had so many teams in a regional. You had those sixteen regionals, <laughs> and uh, I remember one year A and M had like uh, North Carolina, Yale, and a few other teams in it. And like from that point on, just experiencing like the the college baseball postseason, I just fell in love with it. And and from that point on, we'd go to you know A and M Texas games, A and M Texas Tech you know, blah, blah, blah. And I, I just, I, I love the game. Like to me, when you look at major league baseball, uh, there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen. And even back when I was like 18 or 19, when I looked at college baseball, you know, you had Jim Callis, you had John Manuel, and uh, to an extent you had Lou Pavlovich. But, but other than that, like there was really no one in the space. So I was like, you know what? Like I love college baseball. Like I'm just going to start covering it and see what happens. I still remember a conversation I had with my dad back when I was like 18 or 19, he's like, man, nobody's ever going to pay to like follow, follow college baseball. I'm like, he wasn't <laughs> like, he wasn't being rude, but he was just saying like at that time, like there, like there's not a market for that. And so I still remember that to, to this day of him saying that I, I give him hell for it because we've turned this website into a really successful model. The thing about it is from a subscription standpoint, like you don't need to have a massive audience. You don't need to have a professional baseball audience or like a college football-esque audience you just need to have an audience that is extremely loyal and that's what we have in college baseball well anything you do like that Kendall in all all seriousness we joke around a lot but you got to have a little bit of vision and and sounds like you did and how did how did the two of you guys meet yeah I mean I think Um, over the years in, in the college world series you know covering that event I mean we competed against each other for you know, 10 plus years. And uh, yeah, I think I had my butt kicked by Kendall on many a coaching. Oh. And I, I got him a few, I got him a few times over the years, which, uh, which I still like to rub <laughs> in his face because he doesn't like to get beat. Uh, but, but, you know, I mean, we, we just kind of developed a friendship uh, over the course of, you know, long nights in, in Hoover, Alabama at the end of uh, four games covering the SEC tournament. And you kind of get punchy. And I think that's the first time Kendall ever talked about, Hey, we should, we should, you know, join forces sometime. We could really, you know, dominate this space. And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Like, fat chance, that's never going to happen. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the chance to actually start something with your friends and, uh, and, and succeed, uh, it's been really, yeah. it's been really rewarding. You know, I actually remember the first time I met Aaron. It was at the old Rosenblatt. And at that, at that time, uh, Will Kimmy was the Baseball America lead writer. So I think now, like practicing law school, Aaron could correct me if I'm wrong, but I yeah. think he's going to go to like law school or something. But uh, Aaron, at that time, I don't know if you were an intern or were you fully employed. Either way, I, I remember he introduced you, like, "Hey, this is kind of the guy that's going to eventually take over for me." And yeah, I was, was the number that? two guy on the beat. Uh, that would have been probably. It was, I I started at 
uh, at BA in 04. 05? So I think 05 was my first year. Yeah. My first year on, I was like the number two guy on the beat. So I kind of got to apprentice under, under Will for, for two years there, 05 and 06. And, and uh, that was kind of, it was actually a really valuable experience because Will Kimmy did a good job on that beat and he kind of showed me the ropes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was like awesome. the, he's like the, outside of like John and Jim Callis, he was like the, the original gangster in college baseball. But, uh, you know, it's actually kind of funny, Walt, you know, you're talking about, uh, you know, founding D1 baseball. I told this story on another podcast a while back, but, you know, I was sitting there with Kyle Peterson in the lobby in the Hilton, and we were talking about, you know, I, I mentioned something like, hey, you know, you, you know, in all honesty, like, someone should buy D1 baseball, and let's just, like, have everybody, co- you know, like, come together as one. And, you know, he, he was like, you know what, like, I think I'm going to do that. He's like, I think, I think I'm just going to buy it. Uh, I'll, you know, if you think Aaron would want to do it, let's do it. Like, let's, let's go ahead and do it. And I'll be honest with you. And I, and I tell this story all the time to people, like whenever I left Omaha that year, I'm thinking like, this guy's lost his damn mind. Like he's going to buy D1 baseball and create like a one-stop shop. Like he's going to spend that kind of money on college baseball. Like I thought he was nuts. And, you know, a year later he's like, Hey dude, are you ready to roll? And I'm like, sure. So like he called me, called Aaron and uh, here we are. And what was that? What was that year that that happened? Twenty fourteen. It was after the twenty fourteen World Series. Yeah. To recap, you met in two thousand five. Nine years later, you you founded that this thing, and I think I've been with it for like five years. I think, Aaron, more or less. And I get to do great stories, and and I'm honored to be honored. Aaron, I wanted to move to the next subject you mentioned about how you got your butt. Uh, beat my Kendall and might be <laughs> oh let's not come on now <laughs> might be some false modesty there because I'm sure Aaron did a great job oh yeah uh, but I did read this morning I says well let me see what D one's got cooking and Kendall you had a great story that you broke there about uh, who's going to be hosting the NCAA regional sites and over the years mm-hmm. the Hurricanes are used to hosting quite a bunch of them. And so now they're going to be a little bit different. They're not going to wait to the end of the season. I think they're they're when they when they announce the selections from reading your story, Kendall. I think it's May 10th. So I, I counted. There's going to be seven Hurricanes games left plus the ACC. And so a lot could happen after uh, the sites are determined. So my first question is just from uh, you know this is front page 305 here. How does this affect the Hurricanes? What's the likelihood of them hosting a site? Uh, down here this year? Well, I mean, I, I kind of look at this, you know, it's, it's funny you bring up Miami. I mean, I feel like Miami, if you look ahead, because let's face it, like the next two or three weekends are the most important of the year uh, in terms of, of hosting. If you look at the next three weekends, they're not the easiest. And you go to Pitt, who's been really good this year, uh, Clemson at home, who's all of a sudden playing really well. Uh, then you go at North Carolina. But let's say they go two out of three in those series. And right now they're 10 and seven in the, in the ACC with a top 18 RPI. Uh, I'm not sure Aaron, if Aaron will agree here, but like, I kind of feel like if they want two of those three series, uh, given the, the you know, geographical nature of things, like I actually feel like feel pretty good about Miami, the potential host if that happens. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I mean, I think they put themselves in a, in a position. Here's the thing you got to remember is the ACC has played two more conference weekends than usual. Yeah. And, you know, the SEC is still playing their usual 30 conference games. The ACC is playing 36. And so it's harder to, to build a gaudy record. And so for me, the fact that Miami is sitting here 10 and seven 
in the ACC, and they have a series win at Florida. Um, I mean, I think it's, it's certainly they're yeah. building a, a hosting resume. And, and I agree with Kendall, if they, if they win two of those next three series. Uh, and I think they can do that. I mean, um, you know, I, I know that Pitt has had, all the teams have had ups and downs. It's been a weird, weird year in the ACC. It's just really topsy-turvy. But I think all three of those series are very winnable for Miami. So, yeah, I think they're well on, on track to be a host. Kendall, what, what about also just the, um, your story explaining like some of the states um, because of whatever their COVID regulations are, like California may not host. What about Florida? What, what is this, aside from the wins, losses, the time they make their decision, because that'll help, but just uh, COVID-wise, what, what, um, what are we looking at for the Hurricanes and also maybe the Gators and the Seminoles? Is there anything to preclude them from hosting? No, not at all. I mean, the, the thing that's going to be really interesting is to see if NCA goes status quo uh, with uh, attendance regulations. Um, I spoke with somebody at the NCA yesterday. He said that, that with baseball being an outdoor, very much kind of a naturally distant sport, um, that there's a chance that, the, you know, the, the percentages could go way up. I will say this. Um, if you look at basketball, they had 22% capacity at all of it, their events. So the NCA events so far this year – had 22 and 25. However, we have not had an outdoor event just yet. So I'll be very, very interested to see what happens there because if you look around the country, uh, you know, when Aaron was at Duty Noble a couple weeks ago, um, I can tell you right now, there are schools like with probably about 75% capacity. And, you know, if it can kind of speak to more of like if the logistics looked okay or, you know, if you kind of felt safe in there. But, you know, I look out west and you know, I do wonder if schools like UCLA, like Oregon State, you know, if they look at things and go, hey, we can only have like 150 people at our games. Like, why are we spending thousands and thousands of dollars, uh, you know, at the at the end of a pandemic to host a regional when we're just going to lose a bunch of money on it? So that's the one thing I, I wonder about. Um, I, I do think the one state I think that benefits from this is someone like Arizona. You know, Arizona already has a good RPI. They've got a pretty good resume. They've got a good record. Like, I think Arizona right now is like a slam dunk to host because you have, you know, geographics. Uh, you have, uh, you know, they're actually allowing a couple thousand fans, I think, at games. So, like, a team like Arizona, to me, is in great shape. Yeah, I, I don't know why they wouldn't have every single player in college baseball vaccinated. Now, it seems like Biden is saying everybody should be vaccinated. You know, before it was yeah. the, the healthcare professionals. Um, and then senior citizens and and as they open things up, hopefully by the time we get to the tournament, the regionals, everybody should be vaccinated. I'm hoping. Um, but well, let, let's change well, gears mean, a little see, bit. Yeah. Yeah. Go, go ahead, ahead. Uh, Kendall. No, I was just gonna say, like I, I see no reason not not to have 50%. Like I kind of feel like there's a middle road somewhere. You know, if you look at the Rangers, like I mean, come on now. I mean that that's a little silly. But, like, I feel like 50% at a college baseball park, to me, I think I'd feel pretty comfortable. Uh, Aaron, how was the duty noble? Yeah, I mean, you know, I felt okay because I just stood, you know, kind of behind the, the, the stands of the concourse where the scouts were and, um, you know, yeah. socially distanced wearing masks. But, I mean, I would, I would say that mask wearing was only about 50% of the people there, which, which, frankly, was a little unsettling. So we are still in a pandemic. Um, and, you know, I think they announced the attendance at around 6,000 something, and there were more than there. There's no question there were a lot more fans than that. It was packed. Um, and so it, it felt um, it felt a little jarring, frankly, you know, after going through months of 
utmost precautions. And I mean, I haven't gone out to eat practically in a year, you know, and it's like all of a sudden you're in this ballpark with 8,000, 10,000 people and half of them yeah. aren't wearing masks. It was, it was a little jarring. Well, uh, let's talk about the, uh, the rankings. And I know on, on the one baseball.com site, you guys post uh, the ranking. I don't have anything to do with those. I'm just uh, the feature writer, but I know you guys take a lot of care in putting those things together. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, how much time you put into that? I'm, I know what professionals you guys are. I'm sure it's quite a lot. And then start with you on this uh, question, Aaron, and then specifically on the, the Florida teams, I was noticing, okay, Miami's 18, Florida state is 17. That's fair. Uh, Florida state swept Miami by a cumulative score. I would think a thousand to one. I'm not sure you can check on the numbers on that. <laughs> one. And, uh, and then the Gators are 12th. I know they play in the tough sec, just beat Ole Miss two out of three, but they lost a series to the Hurricanes, and they lost head-to-head to to Florida State in the only game they've played so far. So, uh, Aaron, that's a lot of question, but how do you guys come up with it and then maybe talk about those three teams in the state? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because you can get yourself in a lot of trouble when you start using that transitive property. You know, it's like, oh, well, uh, Miami, they beat Florida two out of three. They should be ahead of Florida, but they also lost to Virginia Tech two out of three, so Virginia Tech should be ahead of them. But, well, Virginia Tech lost right. this team, that team lost that team. You know, it, you just you can get down a wormhole. And, you know, we, we try, uh, if there's a direct head-to-head result and two teams are close to each other in the rankings, like Florida State and, and Miami are, it's like, well, okay, this is an easy one. Florida State just right. boat raced them in Coral Gables. You keep Florida State ahead of them, and that's why – we didn't move Florida State, you know, down very much uh, when they had a, a losing weekend. Was it uh, against Wake Forest two weeks ago? It's like, well, you, you can't move them below Miami. They just beat the crap out of Miami the week before. So it's like you kind of give Florida State a little bit of leeway there, right? Uh, so it's, it's a it's a fine uh, balancing act between all these various considerations, head-to-head results, and strength of schedule, and conference record, and kind of momentum and. Um, and, you know, in this part of the season, there's still also some degree of how good do we think the teams are. I mean, we didn't move Ole Miss down at all this past weekend after they lost the road series to Florida, partly because we still think Florida's pretty good. And you go on the road against the preseason number one team uh, and you don't get swept. That's basically what you're supposed to do. And partly because uh, we like Ole Miss's body of work better than the teams that were behind them in the rankings. And we think that Ole Miss is a better team ultimately than a team like Texas, who's right behind them in the rankings. So, uh, this early this season, we're starting to become more and more based on, on resume, uh, but there's still some element of, of kind of evaluation and projection. And as the season goes on, we get to the end of the season, it will be 100% on, on your body of work. Uh, but, you know, in the preseason, it's 100% projection. So it's kind of a sliding scale as the season goes right. on. Right. Hey, Kendall, uh, to follow up on that, how, how close have you come to, to coming to blows with Aaron when you disagree on a uh, ranking? Or have you, have you taken hey, on, Honestly, honestly, I'm not even joking here, but like we actually kind of laughed about this a while back. Like uh, out of all the years we worked together, I'm not sure we've ever actually had like an actual like heated argument over team. Like it's, I'm being dead serious. Like the, That's you know, typically That's we're, we're thinking, no, I know. Right. I mean, typically we think along the same lines with teams. I mean, I, I will say one example I'll give is, a couple of weeks ago, we had quite a robust debate, uh, myself, Aaron, and uh, Mike Rooney, about Vanderbilt versus Arkansas. It was a week where Vanderbilt, you know, no hit South Carolina. They won two out of three. Um, Arkansas went was a two and two. They got blown out a midweek game, and they got beat on Friday, sixteen to one by Alabama. 
well, we had Arkansas one and we flipped the two teams and, you know, Aaron uh, argued in favor of Arkansas. It was certainly a legit argument. You could really go either way with those two teams. And the two of us went with Vanderbilt uh, at the end. It was a, it was a staff vote and we went with Vanderbilt, but that's about the extent of it. Uh, it was a pretty good debate. And, and frankly, like there's not a wrong answer there, but I think at this point I feel pretty comfortable about Vanderbilt. Yeah. But, but of course the week after that, Arkansas goes on the road and sweeps, you know, number three yeah, right? Mississippi state. So <laughs> it's like, you know, I mean, right now there's, there's no wrong answer. Those teams at the top are pretty no. good. Speaking of Vanderbilt, I mean, is Tim Corbin the highest paid coach in college baseball? Do we know this? Yeah, he is. He, he should Yeah, I want to say his total compensation package is around like $2 million, I want to say. Do, do you guys know Not the five everything. years before he got there, losing records all five years, and for him to do this at a program that really – I mean, in football, they're, they're kind of the bottom of the barrel in the SEC, in a very tough SEC. And what he has built there is beyond incredible. So kudos uh, to, to Tim Corbin. Now, we only got a couple minutes late. I can talk to you guys for the remainder of the show, but I have other guests lined up. Who's uh, Aaron, first you and then Kendall, who's the best player in college baseball? Um, I think it's Jack Leiter. I mean, you know, I don't know if you're looking for a position player, but certainly for a pitcher, I mean, right now it's crazy, but Jack has managed to pass, I think, Kumar Rocker. And Kendall just saw both of these guys this past weekend in Baton Rouge, so he can talk more about this. But, I mean, uh, I, I still – I mean, I, I feel like what Kumar did in the College World Series uh, and, and in the Super Regional and throwing a 19-strikeout no-hitter in a do-or-die game against Duke, I mean, to me that, that track record still really does matter. And so if I had to pick a guy to win one game, maybe I'd still take Kumar. But uh, right now, I mean, Jack has the best – stuff and he's also commanding everything and it's just got it all going Kendall yeah I mean I, I agree with him I go with uh, Jack Leiter I'll say this I, I've been covering college baseball for you know 14 years and I'm trying to remember a time where I sat behind the plate like I did in Baton Rouge last week and just like totally marveled over a pitcher like I mean everything about him was just phenomenal I mean the poise the maturity uh, you know, all of his pitches that he that he missed for balls, I mean, they barely, barely missed a strike zone. And the next pitch would typically be, like, right on the money. Um, the, the slider, uh, the curveball, the fastball were all electric pitches. And the thing about Jack, too, and uh, David Seifert actually had a really good piece on this uh, on our site a while back. The thing about Leiter is, you know, he's only six feet tall. So his fastball from that angle really just jumps on you. So, uh, I was so impressed with him, you know, when I saw Kumar in the first game, I love Kumar uh, as we all do. Uh, but I'll tell you what, boy, he was, he was special. And uh, I think he'll be the top pick in the draft. Jack is so poised. It's almost as if, you know, he comes from a baseball family. Oh, wait a second. He does. <laughs> Kyle Lager, right. Is that, yeah. hey, I got, I got time for one more question. Uh, a three Oh five type question. I see that Adrian Del Castillo, the Miami hurricanes catcher seems to be slipping a little bit. Maybe he was, overrated in the beginning I, I saw him like some of those mock drafts top three top five that not might that might have been a bit much um but I, I saw something um you know referring to well the defense you know obviously the, the bat is ahead of the defense they were questioning his power and I looked up I think he has five homers in 40 games from last year Aaron and then Kendall really quick um Del Castillo you know is he overrated or what's what are your thoughts on the young man 
you know, I've still got him as a top half of the first round guy and a potential top 10 pick. I mean, uh, he hasn't really been bad. I mean, he hasn't maybe been, put up loud numbers, but he's still hitting for average. He's still trolling the strike zone pretty well. Uh, he's hit for a little bit of power. I think it, he's going to go on a surge. He's just too good of a hitter. Um, I, I think he's going to have a big second half, I suspect. And I actually was really impressed with his development defensively from what I saw uh, those three games in Gainesville, Gainesville the first weekend. I think he's he's proven to me that he can catch in the big leagues. You know, I mean, not a finished product, but, um, you know, from where he was to where he is now, he's come a long way. And so if you're looking for a catcher who can actually stick to that position, that's, you know, the hardest position to find in, in baseball and, and does have offensive upside, he has proven over the years that he can hit, the bat will play. Um, I'm not going to overreact to the fact that he's been just good and not exceptional over the first 24 games. I mean, long-term, uh, I think he's still a top 10 pick. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, you know, I, I actually totally agree. I, I think when you look at Adrian overall, uh, you know, you, you look at the fact that he's hitting for a solid average. The OPS isn't quite where you would expect it. But, I mean, you're also talking about a guy with uh, with just 12 strikeouts and 93 at-bats. Uh, that's that's really good bat control. Um, and so I, I'm still all in, all in on him. Uh, I mean, he, he has less question marks for me than – some other guys out there, for instance, like as much as we love him as a premium athlete and a premium player at times, I mean, compare Adrian, for instance, to Jeff Fabian in Florida, who has 46 strikeouts and 10 more bats compared to 12 for Adrian. So, uh, you know, I think it's one of those things where I, I expect him to finish strong. The same kind of goes for a guy like Fabian. All right. Well, they'll wrap up this first segment. I mean, first of all, send me the bill, guys, for having you on the show and <laughs> professionalism uh, to front page 305. And secondly, I mean, you guys, I feel good about the future stability and success of the website because you guys agree so much. I mean, if married couples agree this much, they wouldn't be divorced in this country. It's amazing. You guys are completely in sync. But uh, sure Kendall, will. thanks so much for coming on. You it, Aaron, you're the man. You've been the man. Uh, for so long such a good friend and i appreciate you guys for coming on we'll be right back with more show right after this hey look what i found a radio radio this is sirius xm 145 slam radio yo this is k9 and you're listening to slam radio sirius xm 145 and now we're back with front page 305 on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. All right. Welcome back to Front Page 305. This is Walter Villa, your host. And I'm joined now by Hector Clavijo, the head football coach at Champagnat, uh, an outstanding football program. They've won three state championships in the past five years. And in my previous conversations uh, which, with, with Coach, he's one of the funniest guys around, very honest. And I've always enjoyed my conversations with him. Hector. Thanks for coming on the show. Welcome to the front page. Hey, how's it going? Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on here uh, this month is the NFL draft, and you coach Greg Rousseau at Champagnat, and obviously he turned out to be a stud uh, defensive end at the University of Miami. He projected as a first-round pick. Um, I'm curious your thoughts. I'm assuming you're going to agree with it, but when he decided not to play this past season, there were some COVID concerns. Um, doesn't seem like it's, it's, it's hurt him at all in the draft. I mean, he's a, you know, freak of nature in terms of, I think he's like six foot six and his athleticism and his ability to get to the passer. What was it unfortunate or what did you think when he decided not to play? Were you involved in, in that decision? 
Um, we spoke about it. Uh, I'm not going to say that I had any type of influence, whether he played or not. Um, and, and to be honest, I, I was on the fence about it myself. Okay. Um, I wasn't too sure whether he should or shouldn't have. Um, <clears throat> I know his mother being involved in the medical field. Um, I know there was some concern and some caution taken there. Um, so I know that's what played the biggest role um, in him opting out. Um, do I believe it helped him or hurt him? My opinion, I think it might have hurt him a little bit. Um, I think him not playing um, hurt him as far as solidifying himself as a top 10, top 15 pick. Um, mm -hmm. But I don't think I don't think in this upcoming draft this month, I, I think if he does slide, I don't think he'll slide too much further down. So when you weigh the upside to him playing or the, you know, or what occurred, which is him not playing, I think the 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 um, the risk outweighed the reward essentially. So um, so all in all, probably a smart decision. Did he leave some? Did he leave a right. couple million dollars on the table? Probably, but it's better than no millions, right? So um, <laughs> that is true. That is true. Uh, that, that you don't want to be with like me with no millions. You want to be with a couple millions. Right. Uh, right exactly. <laughs> where Where do you think you'll get drafted if you had to? If you had to predict the um, you know, I'm assuming first round, what number? Just to, I mean, just to get you know, a picture out of you. I'm, I'm pretty familiar with the business, you know, and, and, the, and the draft side of things. And anybody that gives you a, a real answer to that is, is, is a fool because they don't know anything. Um, because even the professionals don't know anything. Once you get outside the top five picks, um, and even those are a, a crapshoot sometimes. But if I had to well, guess just to and just say, hey, throw a, throw a fan, you know, answer out there, um, um, I would say anywhere between eight. I mean, it's gonna be wide, but I would say eighteen to forty. You know, okay. Um, somewhere, somewhere in that range. I think as high as like eighteen, um, and and it, he, I think he could slide to forty. It, it, it wouldn't like shock me. Like, oh my god, I can't believe that happened. Um, right. Only because of the position, the need of some of the teams. Um, you know, and, and 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 you know the other guys that are out there. Um, you know, I just think it's tough. That's that's what's in a typical year. That's where it is. So you could argue that he's a top three DN, you know, and that's where the top three DNs typically range from. So I'd be disappointed be for him, coach, if he went forty. If he went second round, I'd be disappointed. Uh, just knowing how good he was in his breakout season at UM, but mm -hmm. uh, obviously there are other good players. Um, do you see him? Uh, um, Four, four, three DN, and then also fitting in a three, three, four outside linebacker. What's the best fit for him? You know him very well. Where do you think is the optimum fit? So when I had him in high school, I always thought he would be that three, four outside linebacker. You know, um, a, a very similar comparison to you know who I thought at the at the time was uh, remember Dion Jordan that went to the Dolphins, um, right? Something similar to that, an athletic guy that could come off the edge and could also drop in coverage. Because remember, he played safety for me. He didn't play right. defensive end. So I thought, hey, he could cover. He could, he, he's a great tackler in open space. He could cover ground with his with his speed and his stride. Um, but he could also rush the passer, as obviously we saw him do at Miami. So um, I thought he could do all of those things. So I definitely saw him as that 3-4 outside guy, that hybrid you know, defensive end. But then I could also see him as a straight-up, you know, four-point stands, Jason Taylor, Julius Peppers, comparison, um, 
just to get after the quarterback, you know. Um, so I also saw that. Um, so I think he could do he could do those things. He could do all of those things. And to be real honest, people keep throwing out the comparison of like a, uh, a Calais Campbell, which the only thing they have similarity is that they're both gargantuous. Um, they're tall, you know, right. in my opinion. Um, but I think he could also kind of play that role. I don't think that's like the pretty role, right? I don't think he'll have the sacks and, and all of the production per se, like that'll make him that superstar. But I think it'll, it'll, it'll you know, he could generate multiple NFL contracts playing that, you know, that five technique, you know, that four eye, um, in, in, in a, in a three, four as well, because he has the frame to go ahead and put on that weight. You know, he could be, he could be a 280, 290 kind of guy. Um, wow. And still be very mobile and very strong because he's at what do you weigh in at two, two sixty something, you know? And what people don't understand about Greg is he's super young, you know. Go ahead and check his birthday, you know. Um, he's a baby, you know. Um, I believe he graduated when he graduated high school. I, I think he was still seventeen. Um, so he's three years removed, you know. He's he's, he's got to be twenty, young, maybe twenty one years old at the, at, the, at the oldest. So I don't think he's even struck that like super mature, grown man, you know, real look yet. So I think there's still another ten to twenty pounds that he could put on, and 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 that weight could help him move and, and play different positions. What was his height and weight when he played for you? When he played safety? Well, me, he was six five, uh, two hundred, and I want to say he was like two fifteen. Would would he at that time compare to like James Williams? Uh, when you when I hear you say that height and weight is similar, another hurricane uh, will be a true freshman this year. Was playing safety at that size? Would you? Is there some similarity think, at least height and weight wise? Um, there seems to be. No, I think James James is more filled out. James was more filled out. James was more of like a. I think he looked to par better um, than than what Greg did in high school. Um, I think Greg could do more than, than a James Williams when he was in high school for me. He could play so many different positions and have a great impact on both sides of the ball. Um, we only kind of saw James kind of just play like, you know, strong safety or, you know, or whatever they kind of had him playing, like a rover kind of position there outside the box. Um, but, uh, but for us, I mean, he played – he was, uh, he was my, uh, like my nickel – he would play free safety most of the time. He played nickel. We would move him down to the end. We would put him at outside receiver. We would put him at tight end. Um, we, we, we were able to use him in so much because he had phenomenal hands. He had a great ability to high point the ball. Um, you know, he had such range at safety. Um, you know, he played also for Coach Dennis, not only in high school, but um, for Coach Dennis in the Florida Fire, uh, seven on seven. So he would always be back there playing, you know, a two high man, two two man under, you know, and he would cover, you know, half the field super easily. Um, so he was able to do all that stuff. And I'm not I'm not saying that that James Williams can't do that. I mean, I think that guy's a superb athlete. But based on what we saw him do, I think Greg did more. Um, just you know, from a need perspective the, uh... in high school. Right. Who was a coach at UM that really first was a believer in him when they? coming around was it Manny Diaz or one of the assistants that really saw because you know there's a guy playing safety at a smaller school to have the vision to say you saw it obviously but to have the vision to say yeah this guy could be a pass rusher elite ACC and all that who who the early like belief in him 
Yeah, um, I, w- I would have to say, I mean, I don't know who was the first, first guy. I could tell you who was involved. Um, I know Manny was super involved. Manny was at, at, a, at a bunch of our games. Um, it was typically Manny and Coach Banda. Um, you know, those were the two guys that were that were at our games, and, and I know played a significant role in recruiting them. I believe mm-hmm. Coach Banda always had our area, so he was our he was our the recruiter for the school. Um, I know Manny being the coordinator, being you know uh, from Miami and all that good stuff. He was around a lot, and then Coach Cool was also the defensive line coach at the time. So I know that played a big role in in, in selling like, hey, look, you know, come play DN. This is what you know he's done in the past, and I know that kind of was a selling point because everyone wanted him for different things, like. USC wanted him as a receiver. Nebraska wanted him as a safety. Um, if I'm not mistaken, there was another school that kind of came in the mix. I don't know if it was Florida, because I think maybe Muschamp was still there. Somebody was running a 3-4, wanted him as that 3-4 outside guy, and then Miami wanted him as a, as a, as a true DN. Um, and right. then when the family decided, hey, you know, we want to we stay in Miami, and, and, you know, Greg feels like he could transition into that DN role, made sure he graduated early did everything that he needed to do to, to take care of the classroom stuff. Um, it, it ended up working out for him. Now the Hurricanes have another one of your kids, uh, Jalen Harrell, who's a, a safety, he's a second year freshman. Um, I was wondering, you know, they seem to be loaded at safety and kind of thin at corner. So my first question is, do you think Jalen could play corner? He's six foot two. They like tall corners. Should he be playing corner? Is that something that he should be? working on to do or, or you think safety and that's you know that's where his spot is yeah uh Jalen's made the move to corner so he's playing corner now oh he um, is i didn't even know that yeah. okay he's playing he's playing corner um he likes it he loves the coaches he thinks that you know t-rob is doing a great job um he you know he told me that him and demarcus van dyke have a great relationship and they get a ton of work after practice every day um and they're really pushing them to be you know, the best that he could be, um, you know, I, I think he's a great athlete, you know, he's, he's huge. He's fast. I mean, I'm not sure. I can't remember the exact number now, but I know they got him. you know, they wear those catapults so you could see how fast a guy runs, you know, and, and in, a, in a practice. And I believe he's up there like 22, 23 miles an hour is what he's been able wow. to get to. Um, you know, so I know, and I seen that. I saw when he ran track for me, I saw him when we would run, he is fast. You know what I mean? So top end speed, I know he has it. Um, I know he's got closing speed. I know he's physical. Um, I know he's got all those traits. Um, do I see him at the corner? When he came to me, that's what he wanted to play. Um, and he never played that for me. He ended up playing safety for me. Um, that's what I saw him at. I saw him as a, as a strong safety at the next level. He played free safety for me. But just because he was so rangy and the, the defense that I play, that's an important player. Um, it's the same with Greg. Greg played that position because that was an important player for me. And that's what I feel makes us successful. Um, oh, I lived really- to fight another down. So those guys always kept people in front of them. And we would always, if we blew an assignment, those guys always didn't let them score. So that works out for me. Or I, if you ask me, hey, where do you project Jalen to be? I thought when he was playing the striker spot, um, or when he was supposed to play the striker, but then I think last year he ended up playing just strong safety. I think striker might be that role for him in the UM defense. And to be honest with you, if you were to tell me right now, hey, they're moving him to like a world linebacker, I wouldn't be surprised. And to be honest, I could see him being a very high draft pick 
at a will linebacker position because he's got the height, the weight, the speed. Um, I just think he needs to put on maybe another 10 pounds, you know, 10, 15 pounds. If you could put that on and he has a frame to do it, just to bulky him up, keep that, keep him running, you know, in the four five range. That's a hell of a linebacker, you know, and in today's game where that will linebacker has to cover running backs, has to play in space, you know, it's not your old school traditional Mike Will backers that are just 245, 250, you know, play the run type guys, you know. Yeah. Um, I think he could do so much at the next level um, from being a, 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 a Will, a Nickel, a Sam. Um, he could do so much at, at, at the next level. So I think it's just finding the right place to put him right now in college so that he could uh, he could show that off. But I've had great conversation with him, and um, he's excited, and he just wants to play. So whatever's best for the team and whatever could get him on the field, that's what he's going to do. Um, he doesn't really care where it's at. So he's a team-first guy. He always has been, um, and he's willing to do whatever it takes um, to be successful out there. Well, I'm really excited. But uh, about that cornerback is where the where the position is really open. So I thought about him uh, at that spot. I mean, we're really out of time, coach. Uh, every segment is running long. I'm enjoying my conversation just in 30 seconds or less. Uh, Andres Borregales, the brother of Jose Borregales, he's uh, another one of your players. What do you expect out of him as a freshman? Um, can he be as good as his brother? Can he be better? Um, um, that's hard to compare. But I think he's light years ahead of his brother when it comes to, like, if you were to compare one, one's a freshman and the other. So um, I think his leg is incredible. I heard already his hang time has gotten so much better. He was putting them through the uprights for me in high school. Um, so, I mean, the, 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 the sky's the limit for him. He's super accurate, tremendous, you know, power with the accuracy. I think he's going to be an elite guy that, that'll be, a, you know, a, another draft pick for the Hurricanes going forward. Well, I'm excited. Coach, I hope you enjoyed it. We enjoyed having you on the show. Thanks for being on the front page. We'll be right back with Annie Navarro and Corey Long right after this. Hey, look what I found. A radio. Radio. This is Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Hey, everybody. This is John Resnick from the Goo Goo Dolls. Giving a big shout-out to Slam Radio, the only student-run radio station that's all national. Awesome, guys. Congratulations. And now we're back with Front Page 305 on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. All right. Welcome back to Front Page 305. This is Walter Villa, your host. And every segment I've done has run long. This one, I don't think it can run long because it'll be the end of the show. But I'm uh, happy to be joined by the OG of this show, Manny Navarro. Beat writer for the Miami Hurricanes. Manny, what up? What's going on, Wavi? I feel like, you know, before I started the show with you, now you don't got time for me. You're telling me you know, I, have, I have barely have time for you, man. And, uh, and you're going to get a run for your money here because Corey loves the microphone as well. I'm also joined by Corey Long, who covers the Stanley Cup champion, Tampa Bay Lightning for NHL.com. Corey, welcome to the front page, brother. Ah, it's great to be here. Very excited. Uh, very excited to be here. Always a joy hanging out with you and uh, having a chance to spar with my good friend Manny Navarro. 
Right. Let's get into it. Even though Manny covers the hurricanes and you cover the lightning, I don't want to talk about either any of those things right off. I want to talk because Corey, you are cursed like me to be a Jets fan and the Jets uh -huh. just traded Sam Darnold uh, and you're defending this, this whole situation. They traded three first round picks to move up to get Sam Darnold three years ago. Now at age 23, they're dumped. Admittedly, he was horrendous for the Jets, but he had no weapons. So Corey, I want you to give me a couple of great minutes on, is a good move for the Jets and then Manny I want you to crap all over it go ahead Corey go uh you know it was a I mean is it if you look at it from the cumulative is it a good move no you give up three first round picks for someone you think's going to be a franchise quarterback and he doesn't turn out to be but what do you do you just hang on with him because you gave up a bunch of picks no he's terrible he was dead last in QBR which means that every quarterback that was worse than him wasn't playing and, every, and a bunch of quarterbacks that probably weren't playing and are probably better than him. He just wasn't a fit. It never worked out. Uh, you know, he had a couple of good games here, a couple of good games there. But, you know, at the end of the day, you got three picks for a guy that hasn't proven he can play in the league yet. And I think that's a pretty good deal, especially given the draft capital they have already. So I like the move in the sense that they got rid of a player that wasn't working out for them, and they got a lot of picks in return, and they can do something with them. Navarro? Uh, three three picks, and one of them is a second-rounder, and the other one is a fourth-rounder, and the other one is a sixth-rounder. I mean, that's pretty weak for the number three overall pick. Why not hold on to this guy? I mean, the Jets aren't winning the Super Bowl in the next 20 years anyway. Why not just, you know, <laughs> let this guy start the first four games of the season, wait for some quarterback to, you know, break his leg and trade him to that team when maybe he can give you more value. I mean, I don't know. I just think a second-round pick in 2022, that's really the only value pick there. The rest of the fourth and sixth rounders, I mean, whatever. Uh, to me, you should have gotten more for them. I would have trotted them out there. I know that they're in love with the BYU quarterback and all that kind of stuff, but to me, uh, this is just – We don't know that. Team. We know that that's what we're hearing. We don't know that they're in love with the BYU quarterback. That's what we're hearing. We don't know that first. We don't know anything. Corey, think they may, they may end up getting Justin Fields. Is that what you're thinking, Corey? I'm thinking we're not – we don't know what's going to happen in the draft. I mean, there's no combine. All we do is hear things, and then magically, a week before the draft, everything changes. That's how every NFL draft has been up to this point in my life. And, and Corey, what, what, was the, what was the race element you were telling me that, uh, about today? I mean, with, with, I want you to get into that a little bit. With Justin Fields, uh, was it or, or Lasky that said some stuff that had some – you know, seemed pretty ignorant. He's kind of backtrack on that. But but you thought that if Sam Darnold, if he were if he were black, the the talk about him would be different. Can you explain? Yeah, I mean the guy is the guy hasn't proven he can play in the league. He has thirty nine interceptions in thirty eight games. He was not great at USC by any stretch. It wasn't like he was a Heisman guy, an All American guy. He's always been what he's been. And the bottom line is, I mean. If he were a black quarterback, the way black quarterbacks get treated in the NFL, he'd have probably gotten cut. He definitely wouldn't get garnered three picks. There wouldn't be a bunch of apologists for him. You know, I, I get that he played under Adam Gase. You know who signed off who wanted to play under Adam Gase? Sam Darnold. You know who had mono? Sam Darnold. He makes bad decisions on and off the field. All right? He just makes bad decisions. I'm glad Wait, he didn't did make, he make a decision to get mono? Yeah, you you know you don't get you don't get that by sleeping alone. 
Navarro, what do you think, man? I, I just think they, they gave him away. I mean, uh, the guy had no pass protection whatsoever. I mean, he's got Braxton Berrios, for God's sake, is, is one of his top receivers. Uh, to me, give the guy a little bit more time. I, I, I understand 39 interceptions or whatever in 38 games. It's not great. But I've seen worse quarterbacks come out. And uh, to me, you traded all those first-round picks to move up and get them. You, you, you had Adam Gase coaching him and you couldn't do anything with him. You got a different coach in there now. I, I would have held on to him to try to get a little bit more value. Right. Maybe the Jets know this is it. This is all they can get for him. He's a broken Manny. player. I wouldn't. I wouldn't strap and I wouldn't. I wouldn't put a new coaching staff on forcing how to fix them. That's an, that's the main reason to get rid of them. There's a new staff. They want to bring in their guys. They want to do things their way. They shouldn't be forced to deal with, you know, Sam Darnold and what he, you know, in, in his broken state. Many. Now you've got this division with the Dolphins. You know, Tua, really his first full year as a starter. You're probably going to mm-hmm. have Zach Wilson or maybe Justin Fields. Looks like a rookie quarterback for the Jets. Jeez, uh, the Patriots, I mean, as it stands right now, Cam Newton, that doesn't seem too sexy. Um, and then and the Bills have the established stud of the division quarterbacks. Manny, how do you think that just in the quarterbacks alone, how do you see that playing out this year? Well, I mean, look, it's a, it's a big year for Tua. Um, Miami's going to go out and get him some receivers, something the Jets didn't do for Sam Darnold. And they're going to they're gonna bring in some weapons to put around him. And, and I think he's got a chance to, to show the guy, you know, be the guy that he was at Alabama. I think everybody was kind of writing him off a little too quickly. I think the offensive coordinator uh, they had uh, working with him last year was not the right fit. And he's a guy who's a vertical passer. Let him go out there and do that more and, and, and be the Tua that we saw at Alabama. <laughs> and uh, and so we'll see if if he can get his act together. I think the Dolphins, you know, they draft the pass rusher here, and they got a chance to be a wild card team. But the division is still Buffalo. I mean, they they were the second best team in the AFC. Um, I think they they got the majority of that team coming back. I know the Patriots spent some money and signed a bunch of free agents, and and you know that's that's the way that they're going to go about it. I I, I don't know. I, I just think there's there's a gap between the Bills and everybody else, and the Jets are way in the back. Way, 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 way. Well, let's uh, a couple of remaining moments. Uh, Corey, I know you've been close to the Florida State program. They just hired Randy Shannon. Many knows very well. What's what's Randy going to do at FSU? And is there any hope for that Seminoles program? I mean, I think that they needed another veteran voice in there. They needed somebody that knows what real football players look like. Um, they're they're basically a a G5 staff with the exception of Odell Hagens. So to have somebody else on that defense that actually has been around great football players and know what they look like, can't. to be honest, I think he's going to basically end up being their de facto defensive coordinator by the middle of the season. FSU is going to stink this year. They're, they got, they, they're, they're, they're probably one of the most least physically impressive FSU teams I've ever seen. I think they're poorly coached. I think they're really poorly coached on defense. They lack talent. So if nothing else, Randy brings in a voice to say, hey, you know what, maybe we should stop trying to coach these guys so much and just actually let them play. Got to like to hear that as a Hurricanes fan that the Seminoles are going to stink. Navarro, what's going on in Coral Gables? Uh, They're approaching their spring game, which is April 17th. Uh, What do you know about the Canes? What's it looking like over there? 
Well, they're going to have their second scrimmage Friday night, and then they're going to have their spring game on the 17th, as you mentioned. And there's going to be more install in terms of defense uh, this second uh, scrimmage. You know, the first one, Jake Garcia, the, the freshman quarterback, and Tyler Van Dyke, the kid who basically uh, sat on the bench all last year. Didn't, I think he got one snap uh, all season. Uh, both of those guys have been getting all the reps with the Eric King recovering from knee surgery. And so, you know, all eyes on the quarterback, man, because that's really the, the future here for Miami. It's can they, can they become quarterback you again? Because I think with Manny Diaz in charge of the defense again, I expect them to get back to playing the kind of defense they did, uh, you know, before when, when, when Mark Ricks had him at 10-3 and three and, and competing for the ACC championship. I think he's going to get back to that level of defense. The question is, will they have somebody to take over for De'Aaron King? So, you know, all the spring has been about those two quarterbacks. And, uh, you know, Jake Garcia looked really, really good in his first uh, scrimmage. But, uh, you know, he also uh, didn't face a full-fledged defense. So we'll see what these guys are really made of in the second scrimmage. I can't I one question. Our producer is playing us out. I mean, it's 12.58. We got more. What about this have, uh, poorly kicker? This poorly kicker. I have one question. I don't know what's going on. I closed my ears, so there's nothing playing anymore. Just continue on. Okay, okay. Good. Have, Manny, tell us about this uh, kicker. Go ahead, Corey. What? Yeah, my question is what happened to Tate Martell? Did he retire to become like an Instagram influencer or something? Yeah, uh, he broke up with his Brazilian girlfriend. Went she was hot. Sadness, and now it's, uh, it's now a male model who, who just keeps talking about the return. That's never going to happen. <laughs> you, you had my attention, a Brazilian model. Uh, what about, uh, Navarro, what about this story you wrote about the 275-pound kicker? Tell us uh, where we can find that and read that. Yeah, that's uh, at theathletic.com. I wrote a story on Manny Higuera. He's 5'5", 275 pounds, and he's a, a kicker at an NAIA school named Arizona Christian. And uh, he had a 46-yard field goal. He trains with Luis and Dave as a former NFL kicker. And, uh, you know, he's pretty good. And, and everybody looks at the, uh, the photo, and they're thinking to themselves, what is this offensive lineman doing? But the guy is a kicker. He was a soccer goalie and, and just a really, really interesting story. Um, on somebody that uh, you know went viral last week when he hit the uh, the game-winning field goal to win his team a conference championship and get them in the NAIA playoffs. Good kid, good story. Do you feel like you've wasted your time as a rider and you could have been a kicker, Manny? Is that what you're telling me? Hey, listen, you know, remember when we went to the College Football Hall of Fame in Atlanta, Walter, you and I were there a couple of years ago pre-COVID. Uh, you will remember that we went out on the field and I kicked a, uh, a field goal through the uprights. It was about 30 yards out. And being a Portly man myself, I, I, I feel confident that certainly a couple of years ago when Miami couldn't have any kicker that would make a field goal, I probably would have done better than all those guys. I do remember that. We were in we were in Hotlanta and uh, we had a great time. What, what was it? Well, I was going to ask you what it is I told the young lady when we were trying the Pepsi, but I guess we, we probably shouldn't go there. Uh, we had a, we had a great time, uh, and yes, you did uh, defeat me in that uh, punt, pass, and kick uh, competition we did. Well, now I think we're out of show, Frankie. Are we not? I think we're out of show. Cor, you are great. Thanks for, thanks for Thank defending the, the indefensible New York Jets. Uh, Navarro, you're the OG of Front Page 305. Thanks for being on once again, and we'll be back next time. See ya. The views and opinions expressed on Front Page 305 are entirely those of the host, guests, and callers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Slam Radio.